Good morning. I think I'm ready. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you. Um, welcome to week four of our series in the book of Philippians. If you remember uh, back to week one, when Toby introduced us to this book, he explained that it was a letter from Paul, who is currently banged up for his faith. He's in prison in Rome, writing to a church that he planted in the Roman colony of Philippi. None of that is unusual. Paul wrote a lot of letters, quite a few from prison. But what is unusual is that this one is a friendship letter. He's not writing to address a problem or give correction like he does to the Corinthians or the Galatians. The letter to the Philippians is a communication between an individual and a group of people who love each other very much. A your enemies are my enemies relationship. One that it's the expectation that they will speak into each other's lives. Advice will be accepted and acted on and help will be given whenever it is needed. I think in the past with Philippians, I've been distracted by all the, the quotable quotes. You can pick your favorite, do not be anxious about anything, or he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Rejoice in the Lord always, to name but a few. But reading through the letter in preparation for speaking today, it really struck me in a way that it never has before, just how positive and loving this letter is. Have any of you ever had a pen pal? This is like I'm totally aging myself here, because I did. I used to write pen and paper letters. Uh, in my early teens, a friend and I used to write screeds and screeds to each other. I mean, like 10 sides of A4 was not unusual. And I have, ab front and back, yeah. And I have absolutely no idea what we wrote to each other. But Gail, she was a couple of years older than me, and she'd been a Christian a wee bit longer than I had. I was brand new. And those letters meant so much to me. And I'm pretty sure that she kept me closer to God than I would have been without them. Reading Philippians reminded me of how lovely it was to get a letter from a great friend. But I'm also glad that Gail and I's epistles are lost to history, and it's Paul's letters that remain. <laughs> so today I'm going to pick up where Jeremy left off last week. In fact, we're going to back up a couple of verses. Um, so we're going to just start at chapter 2, verse 12 and read on to the end of the chapter. And as Jim said, if you want paper, electronic, or it will appear on the screen. So let's read it together. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So let's have a walk through this passage and highlight a few things. Jeremy kind of covered uh, verses 12 and 13 last week. And if you did miss his his talk, I would really, really recommend the podcast. But if I can try and summarize a little bit of what Jeremy was saying, that to work out our salvation with fear and trembling is to listen and act on Paul's encouragement to be Christ-like in our thinking and in our humility. Not our usual kind of false humility uh, based on putting ourselves down and self-hatred, but true humility that Christ showed by, and these were the three points that Jeremy made, having a sense of calling, a vocation, two was radical obedience, and three, service to others. Studying the passage for today, I couldn't get away from these three points. I don't think Paul has moved on from making his argument about what it looks like to be imitators of Christ, so I don't get to move on either. So I am unashamedly and without apology going to nick Jeremy's three points and show how Paul continues to make his argument and gives us examples of what this looks like in practice in the lives of his friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. That sense of calling, practice radical obedience and the service of others. Let's just take a look at how the next verses back up those points. So at verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I have scoured the commentaries and concordances for the meaning of this verse and it means do everything without arguing or grumbling. (laughs) Although the Greek words used give it a great nuance, the word for grumbling is used when the Israelites were complaining to Moses when they were wandering in the desert. as a kind of low, threatening, discontented muttering. And the word for arguing means useless, ill-natured, and doubting, disputing and doubting. And I haven't given you the Greek words because I can't pronounce them. But if you're scholarly, I'm sure you can look them up. 
But you can picture it, can't you? What's the point? What am I doing? Why do I have to do this? And I think we've probably all been there. I know I've been like that. And workplaces where seen grumbling seems to be just the norm. But the meaning of this verse is clear. Whatever you do, don't do it like that. A sense of vocation and calling, I think, really helps to eliminate grumbling and doubting. You can put up with even the most mundane or unwelcome tasks when you have an overall sense of purpose. I remind myself of this often as I'm cleaning up a lab after a bunch of messy students in my day job. But one of the things I believe that God has made me to be is someone who enables and helps others reach their full potential. I'm a practical person who likes to work with people with big ideas and help to make them happen. So working in a university, it lines up with that value. And as a lab technician, I help provide students with a good learning environment to give them the best chance of getting that degree. And I also enable lecturers to focus on teaching to their full potential without worrying about whether the practicals are going to work or not. On the days when that looks like scrubbing the benches and washing tons of beakers, and I'm asking God what I'm doing here, it really does help to remember an overall sense of purpose. So carrying on into verse 15. So that you may be become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Blameless and pure as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul is encouraging that second point of radical obedience. The way you act is going to mark you out. Blameless, meaning not just doing right, but being seen to be doing right. And pure, integrity of heart, no mixed motives. Blameless is the outward sign to the world, and pure is the inward sign of the state of our hearts. And Paul throws in a couple of his own quotable quotes that the Philippians would be familiar with here. The, the children of God in a warped and crooked generation, that comes from Deuteronomy. And shining like stars in the sky comes from Daniel. It's familiar words to, keep that, to make that point, you know, keep going guys, keep doing what you're doing. Well, Gail used to quote song lyrics to me in those letters, so kind of get what he's doing. And then he says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's own sense of purpose and radical obedience lead to service on behalf of the Philippians and he's saying it'll all be worth it if they carry on the way that they started. As Toby put it in his talk, well done, but you're not done. He can see their sacrifice and their service and is happy to have put in all that effort so they can have a mutual rejoicing session. And in the next section, I think Paul's now saying, I've told you what you need to do how about I show you some guys that are living it out? Here's some of exa examples of what it, it looks like in practice. And first up is Timothy. I 
I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy comes with a glowing report. How much love and affection does Paul have for his son in the gospel? But what is it that primarily recommends him? I love it that Paul doesn't pick on anything Timothy has done, not his amazing preaching or that he's traveled so far with him. No, it's a heart thing. He genuinely cares about you. He will show genuine concern for your welfare. Do you remember Toby's circles? He, he said they, uh, they might come up again. And uh, Jesse and I were talking about them in the office this week. It had I am at the center. So it's who you are. I am at the center. And then round about it, the next one out was the I do. And then the final circle round about that was the I have. Paul doesn't pick on Timothy's haves, his gifts, or his does, his acts, but something about who he is, a genuinely caring guy. And then he goes on to say, and you know that, you've seen it worked out by how he served, inner to outer circle. So I think Timothy's a great example of someone who knows who he is and what he's about, has a sense of calling, obeys radically, and serves other from the center of who he is. Professor William Barclay says that Timothy is the patron saint of all those who are quite content with second place, so long as they can serve. I respectfully disagree with Professor Barclay. Sorry, Mum. I'm pretty sure that Timothy and people like him have their own sense of calling and vocation and it is never second place to be the person that you believe God wants you to be, even if it looks like to everyone else that you're second fiddle. Let's not warp our sense of humility again. It is not self-hatred or putting ourselves down. Again, as Jeremy said last week, humility will come as a byproduct. God has a plan and purpose for your life, and it is good. You are never second fiddle in your own life. Next up is Epaphroditus. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, 
He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus' radical obedience to serve his community in the service of Paul ends up with him getting so sick he nearly dies. Instead of giving Paul the help he was sent for, he ends up causing everyone anxiety. Paul, the Philippians who sent him, and himself. As he now worries about the worries he's causing everyone else. He's probably the kind of guy who doesn't like to be a bother to anyone. He's usually the one doing the helping, not the one getting the help. There might be some of you who would relate to that. And just as a note here, an already recurring theme in this letter is rejoicing, apparently in spite of circumstances. And in not too long, Paul will tell us not to be anxious about anything. But right here and now, he's acknowledging real human emotions. Acknowledging that he was spared the sorrow of Epaphrodite's dying. He still feels, and he knows that we all feel. Sending Epaphrodite's home is to alleviate both their anxiety. Remember that as we read on in this letter. Paul is not denying emotions. He's all about the joy in the midst of crappy times and hope in the darkness. But I'll leave that there for now. I think I do kind of identify with Epaphroditus. He doesn't like to be a burden and life hasn't turned out the way he's expected. He's been chosen for the ministry trip in fact, he was selected by his church to be maybe like Paul's intern, to help look after his needs, but also to get to be with him and be part of what he's doing, even whilst in prison. And I'm pretty sure Epaphrodites was aware that there would be some risks. Identifying with a prisoner potentially subject to the death penalty puts you somewhat in the firing line. He probably prepared himself mentally for those risks, but then, bam, out of nowhere, he gets sick. He probably wasn't prepared for that. He's so sick that now instead of being proud of him, his community are worried about him. And instead of helping Paul, he's potentially the cause of more problems. This ministry trip didn't work out as he expected. And life doesn't always work out or look like what we expected. So I'm finally going to stop you giving, giving you Jeremy's sermon and make my own point. <laughs> and here it is. Accept imperfect service. Or more fully, accept and offer imperfect service. Epaphroditus was willing to take the risk for the opportunity to serve. He tried, but it didn't work out as planned. Had he failed? Not in Paul's eyes. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Don't you dare be disappointed in this guy. Paul still calls him co-worker, fellow soldier, brother. I wonder if Epaphrodites was a little bit disappointed in himself, even though things not working out was completely beyond his control. Paul is clear that what mattered was that he risked his life for the purpose of giving him the help 
in person, the rest of the Philippians couldn't. Lovely KV family. Can I give you a well done, but you're not done encouragement? I adore that KV is a safe place to serve, to give things a go, whether or not they work out in the end. People play in the band or lead worship for the first time here. People serve the kids for the first time, lead a group for the first time, preach for the first time, lead a church for the first time. <laughs> it's unlikely and unusual for the first time to be perfect. So maybe the fiddler was a bit out of time this morning, but we didn't have a fiddler. And it, the fiddler's never out of time, Scott, never. <laughs> it never happens, it never happens. But if it did, honor him for taking the risk of serving in the worship band. So the preacher's points were nicked from last week's sermon. <laughs> honor her for taking the risk of serving the church. Encourage, give positive feedback, accept imperfect service as people test and try out where and how to serve this community. This I know you do. And for those of you who are new to this family, this is our culture. Well done, family. Please keep it up. But please note that we also value things being done well. But the pursuit of excellence gives us the drive to improve. The pursuit of perfection just drives you demented. It's not worth it. And also, in this culture, we should be encouraged to offer our service, even when we think we're not perfect or not quite good enough. So as we accept imperfect service, we can also offer imperfect service, knowing that we will be loved and encouraged as we get better, or even if things just don't work out. It's okay to say, I tried, but that's not for me. So even if we're not risking our lives like Epaphroditus, I say with Paul, welcome in the Lord with joy those who take the risk to offer their service and honor people like them. So I'm actually going to be summing up. So we'll have lots of time for ministry today. Summing up, being imitators of Christ and working out our salvation in fear and trembling looks like a sense of calling, radical obedience, and service to others. Take a look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. And accept and offer imperfect service as the Kingdom Vineyard family loves you and wants you to be all that God says you are. Let's stand and I'll pray. I think there's um, a couple of things that maybe God will be prompting. Um, there might be some people who need today a reminder of who God says you are. Remember that I am. 
And uh, there may be some people who are trying to figure out what God wants you to do, or maybe what he doesn't want you to do. So if, if that's you, then I really encourage you to come forward for prayer. And there might be some people who want to act in radical obedience. Again, if that's you, if you want to say, I'll go, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, come and we'll pray with you. So Father God, I thank you that we can live out of who you say we are. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to be perfect, but that we can learn along the way. I pray, Father, that you would seal in the words that are of you and brush away anything that's just nonsense and chaff. In Jesus' name.